Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. So we got a tiny problem here at Ruins of Empire HQ. Some of you might know that producer Sean helped me record this free podcast novel, but when it was done, there was nothing left for him to do but wander the world like David Carradine in Kung Fu, without as much autoerotic asphyxiation. The point is, we're ready to kick off the second season of Ruins of Empire, which means I need to get producer Sean off the road and back into the recording studio. So to help with that, I've got the second book of the Ruins of Empire series on pre-release on Kickstarter. There, you have the chance to get a signed hardback or paperback copy of Templum Venerus, or you can get Saturnius Mons and Templum Venerus together, or you can just throw a dollar in the pot. Everyone who contributes gets their name in the acknowledgement section of Templum Venerus, and will prove that people actually give a crap about this little project and producer Sean's role in it. I'm still not going to pay him, just to be clear, but I think the idea that I could might just be enough to get him to suffer through another recording session. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, book one of the Ruins of Empire project a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. While exploring an ancient spaceport looking for clues regarding a lost city on Titan, Vago lapsed into a dissociative state brought on by withdrawal from Triple T. This one was so severe he threatened the safety of his team before Althea was forced to tranquilize him. At the same time, Cronus stumbled across a message contained within the spaceport's computer system warning them to leave before the sun is eclipsed by Saturn. As they made their way back to the camp, they found that all their supplies had been stolen. Isra pushed Althea to give Vago a cocktail of drugs to bring him out of his tranquilized state. Vega was able to start tracking the thieves, but he soon realized that they were being led into a trap. The team turned around, and Sergeant Carr fell into the trap instead, and was forced to surrender to a group of natives. Chapter 9 For those stranded far from Earth, the first years of the fall must have been a supernova. Bright and all-encompassing for a short while, and then like nothing ever existed. Far from the influence of a global culture, I often wonder what we will find as we return to worlds we left behind so long ago. Will we find long-lost friends and family welcoming us with joy and celebration? Or will we find ourselves looking at each other as strangers with all the distrust and animosity that comes with it? From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Rath Isra used a satellite uplink on her aero suit to navigate back to the makeshift camp where they left the crawler. It took time, too much time for a crew that was on the brink of total exhaustion. It was up to Isra to lead the way again, as Althea's drug cocktail was already wearing off. She would look back every once in a while, and every time she did, she saw more and more lucidity drain from Vago's eyes. By the time they arrived, Isra and Althea led Vigo with his arms over both their shoulders, to the crawler, where they set him down. If anything, Vega was worse off now than ever before. His eyes were glazed over, and he stared off in the distance, not really focusing on any one thing. His mouth moved in some silent conversation. Kronos walked beside them, 
and set himself down on the back of the now-empty crawler bed. Even through the breather, he struggled to catch every breath in between fits of coughing. Althea went to work downloading the readout from both men's medical regulators while Isra watched. Any idea what is happening to them? Althea shook her head. Whatever they have is not related. Kronos got better inside the spaceport where the air is filtered. Vega's been getting progressively worse since before we landed on Titan. Isra stopped. Before we landed? Althea turned off her screen. His endorphin production was a little low during his post-hibernation checkup. Isra felt a swell of rage flash inside her. Are you telling me you knew about this the entire time and you did not inform me? Althea held out her hands. There was no way of knowing it would progress this far or this fast. Hibernation has vast and unpredictable side effects, some of which are not completely understood, but they tend to work themselves out. Tend to work themselves out? The best medical mind the Ministry could find, and all you have is tend to work themselves out. Isra paused and gathered herself. I am sorry. It is not your fault. I am afraid my feelings are getting the best of me. The mission is over. We need to go back to the base and persuade Laban to form a reconnaissance team. A reconnaissance team? A corporate reconnaissance team? Isra, you've spent the entire time trying to prevent the corporation from getting anywhere near the city. Isra started taking down one of the shelters. The situation has changed, Althea. Althea got out of the crawler and slowly approached. This has something to do with the crates, doesn't it? Isra? What were we carrying? Isra set a collapsed shelter next to Cronus. You are mistaken. My rapid change of approach is in response to our current situation and resources. Bago, even in peak condition, would not be sufficient to provide security for this mission. What we saw at the spaceport proves that. We are going to need armed mediation if we are going to ensure the survival of any civilization on Titan. What's left of it at any rate? Isra felt a twinge of guilt lying to Althea. It was a lie of omission, but a lie. But if Althea knew what she did, what the Ministry had forced on her, she corrected herself. What would Althea think then? But what about the corporation? asked Althea. You said yourself that without Ministry protection, they will move in and enslave the entire population. We've seen it before. Isra paused and activated the satellite map on her Eros computer. It is best that we follow the coastline back to the base. If we head approximately east-northeast, we should pass right by the area where the assumed city is. Maybe we will get lucky and find solid proof of civilization, or at least enough to get ministry protection before we hand the whole thing over to the corporation. Althea sat back down at the driver's side of the crawler. The tension in her body told Isra that she had serious reservations about the whole idea, but her downcast eyes said that she didn't have a solid argument against it either. If you think it's best... Isra grabbed the tow cables from the back. I am afraid all other options have been exhausted. Help me pull out the crawler. There is not much time before the eclipse. Twenty hours, maybe twenty-four. Isra was starting to lose track of how long she'd been awake. By keeping to the less densely wooded area near the edge of the tarmac and following the tree line into a relatively open plain, the travel itself was far less grueling than cutting straight through the forest. Now, 
It was pure exhaustion that proved to be the hardest obstacle and, at the same time, a force that propelled her forward. Isra glanced at Cronus, who passed in and out of sleep, awakened in between by fits of coughing and wheezing. Whatever Vega was doing, it wasn't sleeping. He slumped in his seat, breathed in short, sporadic bursts, while his eyes darted wildly in all directions. But Althea kept driving, and Isra kept moving at a steady pace at the edge of the forest, until the constantly shifting ground of Titan played its part. Isra kept trudging along until the high-pitched whine of the electrical engine straining made her turn around. The left back wheels of the crawler fell into a mini sinkhole, and, as much as Althea gunned the throttle, the wheels sunk deeper and deeper into the ground until they were buried, and the opposite corner raised up several centimeters. Althea released the throttle and banged the wheel with both the fists. Damn, damn this bloody moon and its bloody useless ground. We'd be better off driving on a bloody lake. Isra raised an eyebrow. The fact that Althea still had the energy to be frustrated surprised her. Get the tow cable, Isra half-mumbled. I will find an easier route. Isra stepped over some fallen logs and through a patch of dense ferns. They had been avoiding the wide-open plains nearby, fearing that it would leave them too exposed. But there had been no sign of another human since the spaceport, and keeping themselves hidden was taking its toll. Isra stepped out of the forest and found herself face to face with a towering gray wall and a wooden gate both larger than anything seen on Earth. Neither were ornate or complex, but utilitarian to an intimidating degree. The gate was as high as the wall and made with several planks of wood held by a series of ten crossbeams. Each vertical plank looked like it was made from a single piece of wood. The sheer size made that an impossibility on Earth. Even the now-extinct California redwood would barely grow large enough for such a project. Behind the wall, just beyond the perpetual haze of Titan, she could make out the remnants of an ancient city complete with skyscrapers that extended into the clouds. At one time, this little plot of land was likely a glowing jewel in the rugged wilderness of the extraterrestrial colonies. Now, several of the larger buildings ended in jagged ruins suggesting that the upper floors had long since collapsed in on themselves. There were no lights in the windows, no gleam of polished metal or glass. It all felt like a cold, dark remainder of what existed a millennium ago. Isra turned back to the crawler. Althea, come look at this. Althea reluctantly moved out of the forest to join Isra and marveled at the sight in front of her. Oh my, we found it. The city, it's still here. Was, said Isra, activating her arrow screen, was here. It does not prove anything we did not know before. Ruins are not proof of civilization. Isra, the gate is moving. Isra stopped and watched as the wooden gate large enough to accommodate a shuttle slid open a few meters. A small group of about ten emerged from the crack. At that distance, Isra could only make out the fact that they wore long brown coats and they were human-shaped. Isra opened the bionic applications in her aerosuit. She selected the optical recorder and felt a slight tingle behind her right eye. Now, what she saw would be recorded to the computer memory so it could be sent to the ministry. She watched the people leaving the city closely. Isra, said Althea nervously, is it quite safe to stay here? Keeping close to the forest, it would be hard to pick her and Althea out at this distance 
unless they were looking for them. All the same, they were getting closer. Isra stopped the recording. You are right. We should get back to the crawler and avoid contact until we know for sure that it is safe. They turned to go back. Kronos was still fitfully laying on the empty bed, but Vega was conspicuously missing. Althea looked around and, with a hint of panic in her voice, said, Where's Vago? Isra had a feeling, a sick twisting in her gut, that said she already knew the answer and she didn't like it. She cursed under her breath and bolted back toward the clearing and, to her horror, found she was right. Althea wasn't far behind. She stopped next to Isra and gasped, Oh no, Vago! What the bloody hell are you doing? Isra watched that damned fool walk out into the open field toward the small group of natives, alone and completely exposed. Vega was too far gone now. He could see that. All he could do was just sit in that crawler and stare off into space. How pathetic. There was once a time when he was a fearless, near-invincible warrior. Now he saw himself like his mind was outside his body, looking back at it. Looking back at that worthless fool in the off-white khaki suit and wide-brimmed white hat. That waste of flesh that still dishonored his heritage by wearing his long black hair in a warrior's queue. When the crawler got stuck and Easter and Althea left, there was a powerful fear that became the only focus of his mind. Fear that they were wandering into danger. He should be there to help them, to protect them. If he couldn't do that, he should do the right thing and stop being a burden. Get up, you worthless Zonjin. Get up and do something. Anything. He saw his body start to move. That's it. On your feet. Now move. Walk, you bastard. He watched his body lurch forward like a drunk who has just been dragged from the bar stool and shoved down the street. He stumbled out of the grove of trees and into the open field. He could see the city gate in the distance and the people emerging from it. A few meters away, he saw Isra and Althea retreat back to the forest. He wanted to call out to them. He wanted to ask why they were running away. Everything they worked so hard to find was right in front of them. Why wouldn't they go out and meet them? He looked back at his own body barely standing on its feet, looking bleary-eyed into the distance. They're retreating because they have no protection, you idiot, he thought. That was your job, your one Kyasen job, and you can't even do that. Well, he might as well do something useful. Somebody had to be first. Somebody had to walk out there with their head held high and let their presence be known. Yeah, it was dangerous. Of course it was. There were hundreds of people laying dead in front of the spaceport that would attest to that. That's why he had to do it. So what if he got killed? It'd be a goddamn Yagadyak blessing. At least he wouldn't be stuck in that useless body. He started to walk towards a small group. Somewhere behind him, he heard Althea cry, Vago, where the bloody hell are you doing? It's okay, Althea. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I promise to protect you. I can do this. Althea was back at the tree line, and, for a moment, it looked like she was ready to run after that stupid idiot. Thankfully, Isra held her back. Don't go, Althea. Leave me to die. I can't do anything else for you, but I can do this. I can sacrifice myself. 
There were shouts from the group in the distance, and they started running toward him. They were wearing some sort of heavy brown coat that extended all the way to their ankles and had collars that extended as high as the tops of their heads. They brandished batons and snares as they ran at him. That stupid idiot with the white hat just stopped and looked at them. Damn it. He should do something. Anything. He should speak. Draw his guns. Do a dance. Anything would be better than nothing. Instead, he just stood there while the people from the city gathered around. He just stood there as one of the men hit him right below the rib cage with a baton. Althea came running with her black medical bag in hand as Vago sank to his knees. Damn it, Althea! Stay back where it's safe! Leave me! Vago felt a jolt of pain across his head. He couldn't see from where he stood, but one of the men must have clubbed him across the temple, right where it would do that imbecile the least amount of damage. Isra and Kronos came running out now. He wanted to call out, Stay back! Let them take me! Let them do whatever the cack they want to me! He felt another crack of a baton, this time across his shoulder blades. There was another flash of pain, and he was back in his own body, and laying face down in the grass. Some of the men grabbed him by his arms and pulled him to his knees. There was a painful bite of cords being tightened around his wrists to bind them together. Althea's voice came from somewhere behind him. Please! Please! Don't hurt him! The men lifted him to his feet, and he could see Althea, Isra, and Kronos running to where he was. One of the men stepped forward and raised his baton as if to strike. Althea dropped to her knees and put her hands in the air. Don't hurt us! We are not here to harm any of you! Isra stopped and did the same thing. We are members of the Human Reconnection Project. We are from Earth. We want to talk. The men spoke among themselves. It sounded similar to the language the old man used in the spaceport. Kronos, said Isra impatiently, do as we do. On your knees, hands up. Kronos was so far out of his element now that he couldn't walk without step-by-step instructions. He fell to his knees like a puppet whose strings were cut and hyperventilated behind his mask as he put his hands in the air. The men spoke among themselves again. Two of the men went to Althea, took the bag from her, lifted her to her feet, and tied her hands. They did the same to the others, confiscating Cronus's backpack and Vago's other gun that Isra still had on her. One of the men searched Vago's coat and relieved him of his weapon as well. Once they were all secured, the men started leading them through the gates and into the city. At least I was able to do something useful, thought Vago. At least I wasn't totally worthless. And with that thought, his mind drifted away for good. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. That was chapter nine. Chapter nine. Told you.